I'm Ron, also your grader. Hi, Ron. Covering know it all. I am a native to Los Angeles. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I tell everybody that my parents removed the feathers when I was young. <laughs> Uh, I was uh, on Olympic and La Brea. It was so Jewish in those days. I'm really Catholic, but so um, uh, overeating is a is a Jewish disease for many of us. Uh, the first thing a child learns is Essen mein Kind, eat. You know. So, uh, uh, I was underweight as a child. Uh, I was from a dysfunctional family. I didn't know what to do with the abuse that went on. So, I, I just didn't eat. And uh, later, about 10, I had my tonsils taken out. And they told me I could eat as much ice cream as I wanted. I was in so much pain I couldn't eat anything, let alone drink 7-Up. And, uh, but I, uh, when I finally got out of the hospital, I started eating ice cream and I noticed, not consciously, but I felt better after I ate something uh, sugary. Uh, I'm a sugarholic. Um, to share the numbers with you, I came into program in November of 1979. My abstinence is July 8, 1981, so I did not do it perfectly. Because of this program and the 12 steps, I have 37 years of continuous abstinence, which is mainly because of my higher power and my willingness not to eat compulsively. It's a choice. God only removes the obsession, does not remove anything that I put in my mouth. That's a choice, and I learned that in this program. So I didn't know what to do with all these feelings, and, uh, and I found eating to be a wonderful, wonderful soother. I always felt better. Uh, and my parents were, uh, were great manipulators, and they said, if you lose weight, we'll buy you such and such. And I lost weight. I was on every imaginable diet. I was on Weight Watchers. I was on HCG, uh, which was uh, shots from uh, a pregnant urine or something. I don't know what that was. But I was on 900 calories. And uh, you would think if you ate 900 calories without the shots, you'd lose weight, right? But um, I was willing to go to any lengths. And, uh, but I always put the weight back. So, uh, one time you'd see me, I would be, my top weight was 198 pounds. Uh, when I came into program, I have a disease of more, and I went down to 125 pounds. Uh, I thought I was Mr. OA. Now, what brought me here is that I had tried, as I said, every imaginable diet, they all worked but not for very long. So I, uh, in November of 79, I was entertaining suicide because I was compulsively eating and I couldn't stop. I didn't know what to do. I'm a psychotherapist and I thought that was probably not a healthy thing to think. <laughs> so, 
I went to my sister and I said, I can't stop eating compulsively. What do I do? She said, go to OA. Well, I was a chaplain in the Boy Scouts and OA was Order of the Arrow. I couldn't figure out how I was going to lose weight in Order of the Arrow. I was a member and I never lost weight. So I, I said, Order of the Arrow in the Boy Scouts? She said, no, Overeaters Anonymous. Now we had, in my graduate class, we had AA come in, didn't listen to them at all, because I don't like to drink alcohol unless it has an umbrella in it. <laughs> I love the sugar. And, um, but I don't like the effect. So she said, no, you, you need to go to Overeaters Anonymous. So I live in the valley, I'm a valley guy, and uh, I followed directions. And I went to OA meeting we used to have on Darby, which was the main office for the Valley. And they used to have 10 o'clock meetings. And I went to the meeting and I heard something about a food sponsor. We had gray sheet, blue sheet, and orange sheet. <laughs> and those were the diets of the day, uh, which they got rid of uh, for law, uh, lawsuit reasons. Uh, uh, but I went on Great Sheet, of course, because that was the most strenuous. And I was there for a diet. I wasn't there for recovery. Now, in those days, it was cheap group therapy. We would sit there for an hour and a half and bitch and moan about somebody in our life. And then we would go to Bun Ravens, which was a restaurant, a half a block away. <laughs> we would have lunch. And we would bitch and moan about everybody in the meeting. <laughs> I thought this was recovery. <laughs> I had no idea. So now I'm 125 pounds. I have kidney dimples. I didn't even know they existed. And you couldn't tell me anything. I was Mr. O.A. I didn't have a higher power. I didn't have the steps. But I went to a meeting every day. And we did the same thing. We bitched and moaned, and then we went to Bud Raymond's, and we bitched and moaned, and that was, that was, that was it. Uh, after about three and a half years, a woman came up to me. I have no idea who she is. She said to me, you don't look happy, joyous, and free. And in the big book, on page 133, it says that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. I didn't even know she was taking my inventory. But I was teachable. And I said, I'm not. She said, go to AA. I said, why? They drink. She says, go to AA anyway. So I went to AA. And I sat there and I listened to them talk for an hour and a half about something they were not going to do. They were not going to drink for an hour and a half. We never talked about that in no way. We bitched and moaned. It was cheap group therapy. You threw in a quarter or, or you didn't. And so uh, she said to me, so what did you think of the meeting? I said, well, they talk about something they're not going to do for an hour and a half. God shot number one. Why don't you listen to the similarities instead of the dissimilarities? I didn't even know that's what I was doing. And all of a sudden I started hearing recovery. First thing I heard is, I can act my way into good thinking, but not think my way into good actions. I became a psychotherapist because I felt that if I could analyze my life well enough, I could have control over it. 
And I have to tell you, with all the therapy that I had, and I have nothing against therapists, all I got was a well-defined problem. <coughs> I even asked a psychiatrist who came to our graduate class, what do you do after you analyze them? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I started hearing things in AA that I never heard in OA. Now this woman comes up to me and said, you don't look happy, joyous, and free. She had a mantra going on here. And, uh, and I said, uh, no, I'm not. She said, you need a fourth-step sponsor. Now, I had already been taken through the steps twice. Once in an hour and a half, which is what they used to do in AA. And the other one was a little longer, and I got nothing out of it. I didn't put anything into it. And so uh, I was just there sucking up the air and thought I would get it. So she said to me, God shot number two, who frightens you the most in this room? Not who has what I want, because I would go with the guy that had the Mercedes or the Bentley or, you know, whatever. And uh, I said, that guy over there, Captain Serenity, reminds me of every bully that I dealt with as a kid. She said, good, ask him to be your sponsor. I said, you have a death wish. <laughs> this man boasts that he's killed 11 people and got away with it, and you want this devish Jewish kid to go ask him? She said, I think he's a teddy bear. I called him. Well, I'm going to go up to him physically. And I said, Captain, I'd like to ask you to be my sponsor. <laughs> Are you an alcoholic? Very loving guy. <laughs> nope, nope. He said, what are you? I said, I'm a compulsive overeater. He said, I don't sponsor them. They're sick. <laughs> I said, Tom, I will do whatever you tell me to do. He said, okay. Call me for 30 days. If you miss a day, I'll kill you. <laughs> My higher power knew I needed this kind of a sponsor. And he said to me, every answer to every living problem that an overeater has is answered in this book. And it's a textbook. It is not to be read. It is to be studied. So he said, I want you to read a half page a day. What is he trying to do? He's trying to help me slow down. Running away from me. I hated me. I didn't like me at all. I do like myself today. So, all of a sudden, I started learning. Page 23, it says that our disease centers mainly in our mind. And it gives me an example. He says, think about Freddie Prince. Freddie Prince was a young actor. He had everything going for himself, and he committed suicide. You look good. So I said to my sponsor one day, I compare myself to other people. He said, good, so did I. You want to know what the recovery is? I said, yeah. He said, we, when we compare ourselves to other people, literally we are comparing our insides to their outsides. Because we have no idea what's going on inside someone else. So I said to him, so what's recovery? 
He said, recovery is comparing myself to where I was to where I am today. Because I'm always a little better today if I'm making any effort. So, the, the big book is absolutely chalk-filled with brilliance. For instance, page 86, which by the way, I brought five of these, and if you want to make copies, is it the hate? Do it, do it in great health. Um, page 86 tells you what to do during the morning, during the afternoon, and at night. Very simple. And I needed very simple directions. Well, one day, I don't know about you, it's one thing uh, working program here, but I was going to go visit my family. And our family uh, likes food, so I said, what do I do? And he said, why don't you go with an attitude of what you can bring instead of what you can get. Page 128. Never heard that before. He said, do something for someone else and not get found out. So I went up to my sister. I forgot how many munchkins she had, because she has four. And um, she might have had one or two at that time. And I noticed that her towels were threadbare. So every time I went up, I would bring two brand new bath sheets. And uh, I now notice, after 30 some odd years, most of her towels are my, <laughs> the towels I brought. She's never asked me where they came from. So I have five minutes, so I give out. So um, uh, doing for something for someone else and not getting found out has been absolutely brilliant. I still do it. It can be as little as picking up a piece of paper and throwing it away doesn't have to be big. I always thought I had to, it had to be worthy, noteworthy to be on the 11 o'clock news. He went, nope, that's ego. See, I have a control issue. I want control over everything. And I have control over nothing except my attitude and my actions. That's all I have control over. So I had no control over the 405 freeway, which, by the way, wasn't, wasn't bad. I remember once I was driving to a meeting and it was a parking lot and I am screaming the serenity prayer. <laughs> That's how serene I am. And, um, but uh, uh, I, this program is absolutely a gift. It is absolutely a gift. The problem is we have to work it. And all we have to do is make some effort. There is someone that I sponsor that is in graduate school and all I say is you're only responsible for some effort in studying for your exams. And he balked me for a while and then he all of a sudden decided maybe that's a good idea. He's making A's on his exams. And he says, but everybody else, 
is cramming and cramming and cramming and I'm not doing it. And I said, but you have program. They don't. When they say keep it simple, sweetheart, they mean it. Keep it simple. Because we can love ourselves back to recovery. We cannot beat ourselves back to recovery. And that's what I did all of my life. I would berate myself. My sick mind never said to me, what a great job you did. It tells me what I did wrong. Why didn't you say this? They might have needed to hear this. You know what the two most important words in the English language are? So what? <laughs> you know, Tom used to say to me, Ron, nobody gets up in the morning with your name on their breath. You're just not that important. <laughs> I'd like it to be. But it's not. I'm just one of God's kids. And it took me years to accept that. I was talking to somebody this morning on the phone. We were talking about the power of forgiveness. If I choose not to forgive someone for hurting me, they own me. And the only way that I have found in program to cut the umbilical cord from that person, place, or thing controlling my life is through forgiveness. And the secret is I don't have to like it. I do planking every day. By the way, I do not have a six-pack stomach. I don't have a two-pack. I don't have a snack pack. But I do it anyway. I've been doing it for over a year. And it doesn't matter because I'm only responsible for making the effort. I am not responsible for the result of anything. That to me is a gift. Because I was raised to believe that I was supposed to be the savior for everybody. And I'm not. I can't even save myself. Only my higher power can. And my willingness to stumble through the 12 steps. I do a 10 step every day. I do prayer and meditation. I do readings. I study the big book. And I learn new things that I had forgotten or I for didn't remember reading. Because if you have problems with anger, 558 tells you what to do. Time up? I'm finished. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do, do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need to identify yourself if being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Recording, please restate the question. Okay, so, sir. Hi, thank you so much for your share. Um, 
Could you talk about your higher power and your relationship with the higher power and how it grew and or changed over the So the question was uh, to talk about more about my higher power. So the serenity prayer, as my sponsor said, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the sponsor who knows the difference. (laughs) My sponsor had no ego at all. By the way, ego stands for edging God out. I love that. So I was raised Jewish, and we had a vicious, vicious God, and... uh, you know, who rewarded you when you were good and punished you when you went bad. And then on Yom Kippur, you know, he was on this celestial whatever and he decided if you would live, if you would die. I mean, this was not not the greatest thing in the world. And I had all kinds of people say to me, oh, write a piece of paper, write everything you want with a God and everything you don't want with a God and tear it in half and, and work on the one that you want. And none of that worked for me. There was a woman, Carol probably knew her, Dottie Shore. Dottie Shore was a, a woman in AA, had many, many years of sobriety. She spoke a lot in OA. And I saw her at a AA function, went up to her and I said, I'm having problems finding a higher power. And she said, what have you done? And I told her and she said, oh, please, don't do that. <laughs> This is a simple program for people who think they're complex. (laughs) All you have to do is say, God, reveal yourself as you really are. And then start looking. So I was working at UCLA in the engineering department, which I know nothing about. I always thought they were trained. So what do I know from engineering? (laughs) I walked into Westwood, the only bookstore, my mazel, the only bookstore... (laughs) was a Christian bookstore, right? I go in, a little chutzpah. Anybody know what chutzpah means? A nerve. I walk up to the lady and I said, do you have a Judaic section? She said, yes, we do. Jews do not get on their knees. But I had to get on my knees because it was on the floor. (laughs) And I'm reading. I found a book by Harold Kushner. And this was a book that he wrote before he wrote his bestseller, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was called When Children Ask About God. So I took this book. Part of my story. I took this book and I read it and it opened a whole new avenue for me. It gave me permission to let go of the old concept that I had of God and start opening to a new concept. I was told that if God is not my best friend, fire your God and get a new one. If God doesn't think you are the best thing on earth, fire and get a new God. My God only wants good things for me. I do not believe that God tests me. God does not put negative things in my life. Some people choose to believe that. They have that right. 
They have that right. I choose not to believe that. So I slowly started turning my life and my will over to a, uh, to a God that uh, I didn't even understand. Nor do I understand it. My sponsor told me the only thing I need to know about God is I ain't. So now I have a relationship. I talk out loud to my God. My God does not respond. So I'm not going to be put in a rubber room. But God gives me intuition. Intuitive thoughts. And, uh, and I love it. When I choose to listen to it, it turns out very, very positive. So, did that answer your question? Hey, next question. Class dismissed. Yes. Can you elaborate on your Well, I take everything so seriously. And so Tom told me the two most important words in the English language are, so what? Is it that important? Nothing is really that important. Even when my stepmother went in for a minor surgery and died last December, I cried and I was upset and that's normal. But I had no control over that. And I don't ask, and there's nothing wrong with asking, but I don't ask, God, why did you take her? I don't know why. My job is the acceptance of how I'm feeling at the moment. And if I'm feeling sad, allowing myself to feel sad and not eating over it or spending over it or doing something but accepting and acceptance does not mean liking it I don't like getting up and doing my planking I don't care I do it anyway um, so so what yes Say that again. What was, your, what was your relationship like with your family and what was it like So, most of my original family are past. They're dead. Uh, and I did a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, fourth and fifth steps on that. Um, my relationship with my family today is that the ten munchkins which are my nieces and nephews, have never seen me compulsively overeat. When I go up to the family, I am the family listener. I learned in OA how to listen to someone instead of impress you. And listening is an art. It's not something that came easy, even though I was a psychotherapist and I'm supposed to be able to listen. I learned in OA a way of listening. And the best lesson I learned was never give your opinion unless there's a question mark at the end of a sentence. So my family feels very comfortable coming to me and telling me all their chachma. Chachma is problems. 
And it goes in one ear and out the other. And I never tell any of the other family members, do you know what so-and-so said? I just don't do that. None of my business. They're confiding in me. I listen. There's never a question mark. So I listen. And if they asked me a question, I would say, what do you think you should do about it? Because I don't have to play God, who has all the answers. Because I don't have all the answers. And I certainly don't have the answers for anybody else, let alone myself. Okay, anyone else? Yes? You talked about God removes the obsession, but it's your responsibility. You choose what you put in your mouth. Can you elaborate on first how long it took for the obsession to go away? And exactly, if you're not upset, what food then it'd be easy? Uh, the difference between obsession and choice good question Um, I am one that in uh, in uh, July 8 1981 I kept coming to meetings even though I was binging uh, and I would say to people well abstinent again and they kept saying keep coming back so uh, when when I was working on on the steps with my sponsor he said to me do you agree with the second part of step one that my life is unmanageable and I said no my life is very manageable he said describe your last binge and I said well I had some dinner and then I went across the street and I got my binge foods and I had to eat them on the way home and then I ate them and I didn't taste anything after the second or third bite. He said, go back even further. I said, well, I came home from college and I decided not to study and then I had dinner and then I went across the street. He said, go back even further. And I said, well, how far back do you want me to go? He said, I want you to go back in the morning that you made a conscious decision to compulsively overeat. And I said, I didn't do that. He said, if you did not make that decision in the morning, then your life is unmanageable. That made sense to me. So my obsession, because the pain of eating became greater than not eating, was taken away like that. And I went up to somebody on a Tuesday night meeting who I didn't even like. And I said, I give up. And the obsession has been left. Now, I am brought up there certain times in the 37 years where it says that, uh, that gee, I think, you know, uh, a box of cookies would be very nice right now. What I learned is, and I teach all the people I sponsor is, I need to find one human being that I can tell everything and anything too and not feel judged and luckily I have that and hopefully I am that for the people I sponsor so whenever I have those thoughts I instantly text or call somebody and tell on myself don't ask why that feeling of wanting to eat goes away there's something magical about not keeping secrets for me so the obsession left 
I make a choice every day to not compulsively overeat. And, uh, and my abstinence is not perfect. I don't know anyone that, that is. I've been the same weight for many, many, many years, which is very nice. But to me, it's, it's my higher power. And if I have what I want to eat, all I have to do is say, God, remove these feelings. Because that's what it says. I think it's 84, the bottom of 84. We ask God to remove these feelings. And God does. Every time? No. Because if I don't really know the right thing to ask, what's really going on inside my gut, it doesn't get removed. So I get to write about it, find out what the real issue is, and then I can ask God to remove it, and God removes it. Okay, anyone else? Yes? What do you do on a daily basis to stay spiritually fit? Uh, I get up in the morning, and the first thing out of my mouth is, thank you, God before I even get out of bed. Then I get up and I do my, uh, every other day I do back exercises and I do planking every day. And um, then I get on my, I do my, uh, my readings. I read just for today and I, I study from the big book and I do prayer and meditation and I pray for people in my life there are people in my life that have serious issues. They're dealing with cancer and they're dealing with this. I have no power. And I, and I try to say, not good at it, but I try to say, if it be your will. Because I don't have control. So uh, uh, there are friends whose uh, wives have cancer. All I can do is, is pray for them. I have a friend whose partner is, is in hospice. All I can do is pray for him. And that's, that's all I can do. So, and, and as I said, I talk out loud to God. I talk in the car, I talk, you know, wherever. And, uh, and I, I love it. It's very, very freeing. And I don't know whether God listens or not. doesn't matter. There was a great story. I don't know if anybody... There's a guy in program has more years than me. Carol, I think, knows him. He was on a business uh, trip and he had no, no success. Went to an OA meeting. Guy came and opened the door and he said, thank God you're here. And he, he dumped all of his issues on this poor guy. And at the end of the meeting, he comes up to the secretary and said, I am so grateful to the guy who came to open the door because I had to get this out of my, my system of what was going on. She said, what guy? So, well, the guy who came to open the door, she said, sir, he doesn't speak English. <laughs> so it's not whether somebody hears it, it's whether I tell it. And rigorous honestly, if there is even such a word as that. One last question. Yes. The one holding the wall up. <laughs> Um, in light of Me Too, how do you help somebody or work with them or advise them as a sponsor? Uh, What's Me Too? I don't know what that is. Uh, well, that is true. It's a very just have uh, trauma in uh, their lives in terms of um, being 
being sexually abused? Have you ever had to deal with that response? The only thing I can do is listen and suggest that they might see a psychotherapist. I'm not a psychotherapist with people I sponsor. So, you know, but listening helps a great deal. Most of us have never been listened to in a loving way. And it's magical. Am I finished? Is it time over?